and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Carolyn Butler-Madden, I am so excited to have you on She's the Boss Chats. Thank you so much for agreeing to an interview. Oh, wow. Thank you so much for inviting me, Jules. (laughs) My absolute pleasure. So let's kick this off and get you to explain what it is that you do now. What's your business? My business is the Cause Effect. So we're a purpose consultancy. And what that means is we help business leaders to define, articulate and embed meaningful purpose into their business in a way that drives profit through purpose. Wow, that's a big mouthful. Now, can you un- unpack that to use that word and tell me what? So, what actually do you do? What kind of businesses are you working with? And give me an example. Okay, so um, I work with so, so so my background is working with big brands, and that's where I started. Okay. But I, I just and I still am working with big brands. Um, so at the moment, I'm working with uh, Vodafone, Blooms the Chemist, for example. Um, but but I've also found the sweet spot is medium-sized organisations that, okay. um, that, you know, they've got successful businesses, they're, um, they're big enough to make an impact, um, but they're small enough to open up the whole business to the opportunity. Oh, so, lovely. Because they understand that this isn't just about brand, it's not just about marketing, it's about their whole business. And that's where we can unlock the full value and the, the program I've created, the methodology I apply is about unlocking the full value within your business through brand, people and culture, marketing and comms, customer experience. So everything. all the touch points, which is so weird because um, a podcast that I imagine will come out two weeks before you, but I don't know because I've got so many of them, with Michelle Hogan, who's an independent brand counsel, we talked all about it's about the promises that you make at every level of your business and that you follow through on them. And if you do that, people will understand what your brand is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, I love it. Okay, so why did you set it up? Um, oh, look, so, so my background is in the agency world. Um, ad, so I ad had agencies? The, yeah. So okay. I had 30 years, um, first 10 years in London, 20 years here in, in Australia um, with my own agency um, and, and the below-the-line marketing. I started in below-the-line marketing. And, and now, just explain, is, yeah, I was going to say, explain mm, that for anyone who doesn't know. So, so that's not making the big ads. That is about engaging your customers, um, often at the point of purchase, but not always. So it, it includes things like promotions. So, yep. you know, when you walk into a store and you see a promotion to get something free or to win something, um, it also in, direct marketing was a big part of what yes. I did. Yes. Um, you know, <laughs> I worked at Below the Line agencies in London as well. Um, All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's obviously a whole lot we'll be able to talk about. But, um, okay, so you were working below the line and then what happened that made you think, oh, my God, these businesses have just got no purpose? (laughs) Um, Look, look, to give you a bit of context, that career I fell into by accident. I was a youngster in London. Um, My first job was at Accor, the hotel chain, in the sales office. And... um, 
And I just wanted to go traveling. So I went off traveling, living in London. I was in Europe traveling. And I came back broke after four months, you know, had an amazing time, came back broke, thought, I want to go traveling again. I love this. And I I deferred uni and, you know, found traveling and forgot all about uni. And I thought, this is the university of life and this is what I want to do. And that was my ambition was to be a traveler and, you know, Oh, my God, what a great ambition. I am so with you. I love travelling. And I'm going to actually get you to tell me the whole story from high school through to now, if that's okay. But specifically with setting up the cause effect, can you? was there a light bulb moment? Was there something that made you go, oh, my God, there's, there's this gaping hole in the market and I'm going to go and fill it? 100%. We ran a campaign for a, a, a brand, um, a big yep. brand, a water brand, and it was a cause marketing campaign. And it wasn't the first time we'd run it, but it was the first time that we had been able to evaluate results. And it was the only thing the brand did in the year. Right. And the results were phenomenal, right? And I had a strategic planner at the time. And she did this huge research of what was happening around the world. And she shared it with me. And I just went, ping. Um, and we ran the campaign and it was hugely successful, not just in terms of sales, but brand health so measures around trust, which, you know, any, any marketer would die for. And in that moment, I suddenly thought, whoa, 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 this talks to me. This is my kind of thing. This is, this, this is, I love what I do, but this is something else. And, um, I came across a conference in Chicago at the time, it was called the Cause Marketing Conference. It's now engaged for good, and it's all around social purpose. And I went there, right? And it just blew my mind. You know what I saw over there that was happening strategically yeah. wasn't happening here, and and you could see brands that were um, they were they had strategic partnerships. They were yeah. changing the world in amazing ways, and as a result of what they were doing. They were getting um, huge Attracting value from their people. brand. Yeah, yeah. right. Because we all I'm want not- to be able to help someone, don't we? We all want to be able to, to to give some meaning to what it is we're doing, particularly if we're spending money. Hundred percent. And and to me, I just looked at that, and that was my light bulb moment. And I thought, but marketers are really struggling. They're struggling to, you know, get above pricing. And promotions and offers, they're struggling to really engage people. And look at this. And, you know, and the world needs solutions. Help. Society yeah, needs we do. help. And people want to feel, you know, whatever they're doing, that there's meaning behind it. And, and it just looked like a no-brainer. It solved so many problems. And I came back this raving evangelist for change, just thinking everybody needs to know about this. Once they know about it, we can all do it. And how naive am I? And um, Oh, I did the I, same when I, when I set up my PR company. It was like everyone wants everyone really needs this once they do it. Same thing with you. And then you go, oh, my God, I'm going to have to educate them as to why they need me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the optimists in us, right? Um, yeah. And, yeah, and I tried to steer my agency – down the track, my employees were all in. My team were all in. They could see it. And I saw that um, clients, as I went out educating people, do you know what, Jules? You, on, a, on an individual human level, 
pretty much every single one of them, you could see them lean in. You could see the shift. Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd do group Amazing. presentations and they'd all pile in and you could see them thinking, oh, God, what am I in here for? I've got so much work to do. And, and once I started and I started sharing, it was a shift that you could physically feel in the room as people kind of went, oh, this is something that I could sign up to. So, so on an individual level, 100% people connected to it. But mm. what was lacking was that there was fear in going forward, fear of doing something different. Because I, I was going to say, and, 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 you know, if there is anything about business, they're so bloody risk averse that, you know, you see these brands that align themselves with causes and you go, oh, my God, amazing. And yet you look at other brands and, and one I can think of just off the top of my head is Bunnings that I was working with them years ago and they had 65,000 people in a group that had been set up by Bunnings fans because Bunnings wouldn't go on social media because they were so worried someone would say something bad. And yeah, I remember right. going, oh, my God, like that is just so stupid. But I guess that's what you were beating your head up against the wall with each time, was it? 100%. That kind 100%. of attitude of yeah. we'll wait and see everyone else does it. If everyone else does it and it's successful, we'll think about jumping in. Yeah. And I realised um, I realized I couldn't do it with, with my agency because I had, I had salaries to pay. I had seven people. I had salaries to pay. If a client yep. said, oh, we need a new product launch, we need a promotion, you know, we had to respond to that. And so I was trying to do what I could, but I just didn't have the bandwidth to do it properly. Um, so, yeah, and a few things happened. Um, Great. And- well, look, I reckon you're this – this is probably exactly the moment for me to take you back because I can hear this story is winding in and around, which I love. So let's go back to the girl who left school who, who didn't know she was going to love travelling so much and then take me right the way through to today and how your career's evolved. Okay. <laughs> and I'll ask you nosy questions in the middle of it. All right. Cool. So the girl, the girl who left school. So I, I finished school in England. I did my last three years in England in Bath. Oh, my how, mother. How, how come? Oh, I got dragged over there. I was living in Perth, um, and my mother wanted to move to England, and I kind of. She gave me a choice of going to boarding school out in Whoop Whoop, um, or, <laughs> or going to coming England. to the UK with her, and she dangled the pets as incentive. Yes. The dog and cat, <laughs> and and so I went very very reluctantly and with bad humour. Yes, um, as teenagers do. <laughs> anyway, yeah, but, but you know what? I thank God, Jules, that I did go because Perth. I mean, that was seventy nine, and Perth during that time is beautiful place, but so 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 insular, and um, mm. and yeah, I just think it opened it opened my world to yes. what's possibility. And, and, and the one thing about England, I think, is that you're so close to other – it's very international compared to Australia. Australia is so sort of, you know, we're so far away from everything, whereas if you're in England, you know, to go over to France or Paris or, you know, anywhere that you want to go is just a hop, skip and a jump. And yeah, cheap, oh, cheap, 100%. cheap as well. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know what? The other thing it gave me so, – so I landed um, in Bath and – I was the Aussie. I was the quirky <laughs> Aussie um, who everybody, you know, in French class, when I tried to speak French, they just laughed their head <laughs> off at me because yes. I did it with this broad Aussie accent. And, um, and it gave me permission to be different. 
um, which I look back on now and I didn't see it at the time. But but because I was that, that weird Aussie, like I was just embraced by everybody. I was embraced by the cool kids. I was embraced by the not cool kids. And I, I had freedom to do whatever I want. And, you know, I made choices that didn't necessarily conform to what the cool kids would think was okay. But because I was an Aussie, it was kind of like, and my nickname was Quokka. Um, was I what? Introduced them. Quokka. 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 <laughs> my brother was Skippy, which is a lot less imagine, unimaginative. <laughs> but I told them about Quokkas on Rotnest Island and, and they loved it. And I got, I got yeah. done Quokka. And, um, you know, anything I did, they'd be like, oh, that's Quokka. And I got away with it. And <laughs> I, Well, when I think about it, it actually was the start of enabling me to do, to have the confidence to do things um, that didn't necessarily. What a great story. What a great start. Yeah. So I hadn't really thought about that, but, but there was that. And so I finished school and the first thing I did was come back to Perth um, and, yeah. you know, kick my heels up. And I thought, yeah, I want to go to uni. I thought I wanted to be a photographer. But I came back to Perth and I ended up getting a job selling paintings door to door and just meeting all these <laughs> travellers and um, and going around Western Australia selling paintings. And um, I met I met someone who is still my closest friend today. Oh, um, fantastic. Yeah, so, so I did that for three or four months and then I came back to – I moved to London and I got a job at Accor. Um, the hotel yes. chain, the sales office, and I did that for a year. Did you get it straight away? Hang on, um, because I just remember, just in case anyone is listening has done that London thing, which I did as well, but I, I unfortunately was a little bit older than you. I wish I'd done it younger. But it's a bit scary at first, isn't it? And you just kind of, and they love Aussies, um, yeah. but it's it's just kind of weird going and looking for a job in another country where the salaries seem tiny because you know, I remember I arrived and I had left Australia. I mean, back, I mean, it was many years ago, but you know, you were still earning thirty-five thousand, maybe. And you go to London, they were all earning twelve thousand yeah. pounds, and you're just kind of like, "Oh, is it yeah. the same?" So, you, but well done for getting that job because that sounds amazing. What did you do at Accor? What was the first job? I was assistant to the sales coordinator for the Novotel Orchid Inn in Singapore. <laughs> right, <laughs> and um, and she. It was a small sales office, and it was, you know, it was it was great. It, it was like a like a family. And my boss, um, Jules, her name was. She was about oh, ten years old. Oh, great name! She must have been awesome. <laughs> she was awesome, and she she was she was. And I, I was thinking about it. She yeah, she she just brought me along to everything. She opened up opportunities Good for on. me, and. Um, and if I think about my whole life, I've just, I've had people and a lot of women open doors. And oh, wonderful. I love to hear that. Yeah. And, and just, you know, they haven't put barriers in my, in my way. Um, they've they've oh, opened up brilliant. opportunities. And she did that. And, of course, that just, you know, lifted my confidence straight away. Um, and then I think she left and I was, uh, I wanted to go traveling. So I got itchy feet and I decided to, um, go off and travel in Greece for a while. I ended up traveling in Turkey, Greece and Turkey. So I did that for about three or four Wonderful. months and I came back and I was dead set. I want to travel the world. You know, I want right. to, 
I want to I've be had free. A little taste, yes. <laughs> yeah, and I thought I just need a job to earn some money. Three months earning some money, and I'll be off again. And um, and I got this job. So so at this point, I'd given up on uni. Uh, the idea of uni or photography, I was just traveling was what I thought I wanted to do. And so I went, I could type and I went yeah. to an employment agency and they gave me a test and they said, do you do audio typing? And I'd never even seen an audio typing <laughs> machine, but I, I knew what I was supposed to do. So I said, yeah, of course. And she looked at me and she was, she was a real snob, right? And she said, yeah. well, then you won't mind taking a, a test, will you? And I thought, well, how hard can it be? And I said, yeah, sure. And so she gave me this machine and I put it on like this, like a Walkman, because Walkmans were all the things at the time. And I started sitting down and she went, excuse me, we don't wear our headphones like this. We wear them like that. Okay, um, under your chin. Not on your head, under under your chin. (laughs) And I remember just going, Oh, well, in Australia, we do it the other way. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant answer. Anyway, I, um, she got me an interview at an agency. You know, I, I didn't even have marketing in my head, but I, I went to this agency and, um, and I got the job. Was that sort of as the receptionist or the account executive or something and then work your way through up? Yep. Receptionist. It was an agency called Option One, and um, and I was such a crap receptionist. I was <laughs> terrible. I always got names mixed up, and yeah, um, not I ideal for a receptionist. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. And but again, I was the quirky Aussie, and they kind of liked that energy. I yeah, think. right. And and I remember this guy coming in to see the um, managing director, and I called through to him, and I said, "Hey, Bob, um, Rupert Murdoch's here to see you." And he said, are you sure about that? I said, yeah, he's sitting right here on the sofa. He's waiting. Are you going to come out? And he just laughed, and I didn't know what he was laughing about. And afterwards, he came up to me, and he said, really, Rupert Murdoch? The guy's name is Rupert Godfrey. And, you know, that's an example of how I was. So um, they invited me to come in. They were probably trying to get me off reception because I was so bad. And they invited me to come in and work in um, client service, account service. So I worked for this team um, headed up by a a woman, Diana. and, um, and, And again, it was like opening doors. She just, she gave me things to do. She trusted me to do stuff that, I look back now and I think, whoa, that was quite unusual, you know, um, working on yeah, client right. accounts, big clients, you know, managing conferences for them, all this sort of stuff. And everything she gave me, I just lapped up. And um, That's and why she kept team. on giving it to you. Now yeah. you can look down from our age and go, oh, my God, if I had an 18-year-old or 20-year-old and, they, and I said, let's do this, and they said, sure, I'll do it, you would love them. Absolutely. I do. I'm, my daughter's working with me now and, and that, that works really well, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and literally it just, you know, it was, they just opened doors and I just grew and I went from account exec to junior account manager, account manager, senior account manager, account supervisor, account director, group account director. And meanwhile, I never got the money together for travelling but I also found I just loved what I was doing and I was in and, London. But, so I was going to say when you were in London, did you, uh, I mean, I know when I worked at an ad agency there, the client was in Germany, so we would fly backwards and forwards. Did you get to travel through business? Yeah, or I did. Um, yeah. What, 
So one of my main clients was in Liverpool. Um, <laughs> Not quite as sexy. <laughs> um, I, I did a, a print check for a book we created in Milan. That was one thing. Oh, and, lovely. Um, and probably the best travel opportunity I had was to go to Val d'Isere for Drambui for a skiing video that we were creating. But how, how about this? How about this? I do congratulate myself on this. I stepped away from that opportunity and I gave it to my account manager who was working for, I was account director. Oh, there you go. There you go. Passing it down the line. That's what I love to see. So it was done for you and you've done it for other girls. I think that's, that's exactly what we want. So brilliant. I do love that. Yeah. And she had a ball. She had a ball. So, um, I bet. And you tried not to, not to be envious when she came back. (laughs) I know. I know. But you know what? It was, um, it was London in the eighties and the whole, um, vibe was you worked like an idiot. Like we worked out ridiculous hours, but there was, there was no line between work and play. And the agency I landed in, it, it was just, it was just the most incredible place to be. I still, you know, people come, come over to Sydney and I see people from those days and almost every single one of them who's gone on to create their own business has tried to bring that culture in. Because yeah. it was a culture Fantastic. of empowerment and trust yeah. and camaraderie and craziness and it was amazing. And um, and I felt like I, I was a free spirit and yet I stayed there for almost 10 years. But the growth amazing. never stopped. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it just makes such a huge difference. I mean, I was only employed for a few years of my life, but it was five years at a newspaper, Peter Isaacson Publications, very similar, very empowering. We, we were like a family, and even now it's I, I left 25 years ago. We still have catch-ups for all the staff, everyone from the old people in accounts to the young guys down yeah, in the brilliant. compositors. Because it's yeah, it? it? does, and it's something that it's a dream when you're younger to be able to work for a company like that, I think. It's such Absolutely. a good grounding. You up and it, it set me up in my expectations of you know what I wanted and what I would create for others um, and yeah what goes around comes around. Right. So why did you come back to Australia? Um, oh, look, I always knew I wanted to come back. Australia was always home for me. I spent fourteen years in the UK wow. um, and I loved I loved its proximity to Europe. Um, I I. I fell in love with the European, so right. I had a holiday romance um, in Montenegro, which was it was Yugoslavia at, at the time. Yeah, and amazing. I ended up having a seven-year holiday romance, but in between, there was war, the Balkan Wars, so the Yugoslavian. Oh Wars. my goodness! So yes, it got very dramatic and very intense because you know what started as a happy holiday romance that was never meant to be anything more than that um, suddenly got quite dramatic and intense and we couldn't see each other. And, yeah, I ended up breaking through war borders to go and see wow. him. And, wow. Wow. Um, You'll have to write a book about that. Yeah, maybe one day, one day. And My boyfriend um, in a war zone. Yeah, well, there are certainly stories of me getting stranded in the middle of nowhere and and getting very close to fighting zones and and stuff like that. So uh, it was, yeah, I I look back and I just think, God, I hope my daughter's not as stupid as I was. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, They'll have a good head on their shoulders anyway, I'm sure. Yeah. Right, yeah, so, you know. yeah. But, um, but I, I decided I wanted to come back and, um, and part of my thinking was, because I was in love, but I didn't think it was a relationship that would go anywhere. So I right. thought, okay, I need three months visiting him in winter when it's not summer holiday time. Um, and that'll be my big dose of reality and I'll get him out of my system and I will come back um, to Australia, a free woman, you know, free mentally, right. emotionally and everything else. And it nearly worked. It almost <laughs> worked. Um, but um, ended up coming back with him and yeah. um, and we moved to Sydney. <laughs> hang on, hang on. There's just a little bit there. So, what, so you went, you were thinking this will all be over and you came back with him. So what happened? Um, well, well, you thought I can't leave you in a war-torn country. Come with me to Australia. Oh, do you know what? It was a war-torn country, but where he's from is beautiful. It's on the coast, you know, it's tourist destination. And, and I didn't work him out of my system. Like it it almost worked. It almost worked. And I was ready to head out, but we kind of, you know, we found each other again. And I'm getting goosebumps from this story. (laughs) And I said, I'm, I'm moving to Australia. You know, I'm dead set. I'm, I'm not going to stay in England. Um, and I said, do you want to come? And he was kind of like, mm, you know, because he loved his home. He lived yes. in America for a while, but he loved his home. And then literally on my last night there before I was due to come back to London, he said, let's give it a go. So we spent that last night filling out visa forms and everything. I went back to London and then I flew to Athens, met him in Athens, and we flew together. We didn't know. We thought we'd just give it a go and see what happened. Right. And, and he was on a tourist visa. Yeah. So we moved yeah. to yep. Sydney and um, yeah. and I picked up a job in an agency, a small agency in Sydney and yeah. um, and started working there. And then that agency, um, that that uh, it was about six people at the time, and we started growing it. And then the the two partners, she one of the partners decided to leave, and the other partner, um, he was his background was studio, and he yeah. wanted client service facing, and that was me. And so he asked me to become a partner in the organisation. Um, right. which I eventually did. Um, at first I was kind of like, I don't know. You know, I still had a bit of that free yeah. spirit thing, not knowing what was going to happen. And then um, and then I had, we had a daughter, um, my, my husband and I. Right. And, Hang um, on, is this, so is the, the husband is the same guy that came over from Yugoslavia? Oh, my goodness, yeah. you didn't tell me that. Okay. Yeah, so, so well, I call him my husband. We never formally married. Um, right. But, but, you know, we've been together for, God, I don't know, 30-odd 30, 30 years. That's amazing. But, I was expecting but, you to go, that was the holiday romance and it ended up sort of not working and so, you know, I married someone else. But, uh, no, that's great. ups and downs in between, you know, across of course. cross-cultural relationships. You know, a roller coaster ride, but um, it is. But, but that's but, a beautiful but, story. Oh, I love that. Okay, so so <laughs> you're here. You've worked in the agency. You've accepted the partnership. You've got a baby daughter. What happened next? Yes. Yeah. Um. So we built the agency up. Um, twenty five people working for big brands like Cadbury, Pepsi. Um, wow. You know, yeah. Um, 
Lion, you know, Diageo, Panasonic, Microsoft, all the big brands um, doing great work. And then he decided uh, he got sick. Um, right. And he uh, he left, and he wanted me to buy him out of his share, right. which I was a bit reluctant. But he was a friend, and we did. So I did, and we came to this yeah. weird arrangement. He had always looked after the financial side of things. I looked after the client side of things. Um, right. And it took me about a year or two years to discover that finances were not as they seemed. Um, oh, he hadn't, oh, he hadn't done anything untoward, but he just wasn't across he, he just the didn't finances. Know. And we had a terrible bookkeeper who uh, I, I don't even want to talk about it because it takes me back to a, it was just such a stressful time. And I thought, you know, the books were telling me we were, you know, we were getting six-figure, good six-figure profits. Yeah. But the reality was the expenses were not being managed and we were like in bad shape, like six figure losses. Oh, but, oh but Carolyn. Six figure losses, yeah. But yeah. They, these moments often are a moment that teaches you something. And I mean, oh, I have yeah. had similar situations. And you look back at the time and go, you know, in some ways, kind of, I'm thank you, I'm thankful for it because it sent me in another direction, or, or in maybe in your case, you learn to keep an eye on the finances. I don't know, but um, yeah, what happened as a result of that. that. I, I learned <coughs> a lot about people. I learned about <coughs> friendships. I learned about true friendships. I found friendships where I didn't expect it, like people who just stepped up to help, like you know, people who were virtual strangers who are now close friends, um, you know, because they just came in and they helped and they were so supportive. And then Amazing. people who I thought were close friends who weren't. Didn't do anything. But, but Jules, what I learned about the most was about me. Um, like I learned that I'm a fighter. Like I didn't know that before, okay? Right. And I learned that I was a dirt, like, 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 you know, scratching around in the dirt fighter, I would do what I had to do, not in a bad way, but yeah. just in terms of, you know. Never give up. Yeah, and, and there were people saying to me, you know, um, close it down, um, let it go. Of course. There are legal structures in place for this. This is what you do. But I, I, I realised I was going to leave creditors in the lurch and that didn't sit right with me. And so I literally just I brought the agency down from 23 people down to five people. Um, and yeah, it was three years. I, I, did, I didn't have a holiday, I think for six years at one point, um, which was. Wow. That's just, dedication, was, but that's also, was, yeah. Well, it was three years of intensiveness, but so it must have been five years I didn't have a holiday. So three years of absolute intensity and um, just fighting. And I brought it back, um, ended up um, going into partnership with somebody else. So, so I brought it back to a point where it was salvageable and right. went into partnership with someone else, moved into Surrey Hills um, and – Kind of started started it again, and um, and yeah, it it um, built it up with the support. So rebuilt it, built it into a profitable uh, million dollar agency with fewer people, 
Um, and I'm oh, I'd be brilliant. I just have to tell you right now that keeping going, especially when everyone's going, take the easy way out, take the easy way out, is it's tough but it's very um, – well, you learn a lot, I guess, as you said, about yourself and about business and about other people. And it does – it gives you an, an iron core, I reckon. I always call it nerves of steel when you're a business owner. If you go through that, um, yeah. it, it teaches you so much oh, that you didn't know. Really- but it's I, I hell. It is hell. I wouldn't wish it on anyone else. And and I lost a lot. Like I lost, you know, we've got we've got a daughter, and I lost experiences with her. I was absent for a lot of that time. Yeah. Um, which was really hard. But uh, but she and I have got a really really strong relationship. And you know, I was there as much as I could be. Thankfully, you know, my husband. What, what does she say there. now, though? I was going to say, what does she say now, though? Because I bet we as mums have this guilt, you know, and I have it with my boys as well. But I actually think that what it gives them is a whole lot of stuff. So at the time they might go, I didn't see you that much, but I knew how hard you were working and I knew what you were trying to do. And, and you know, there's, there's a whole lot that they learn out of that as well. So I think when we beat ourselves up sometimes going, wish we'd spent more time with you. you can't, I remember my dad, who was an obstetrician, used to took me aside when I was in my 20s and he'd obviously had an argument with my mum who said, you were never there um, because obviously when you're delivering babies all over the place, you aren't there all the time. And he said to me, do you remember – me not being there. And I said, I never do. I cannot think. I just have really strong memories of things we did together. So it's funny how children kind of, you know, learn a lot from that. And I I think that's the same of her because, um, you know, the time we did spend together was quality time. Um, And I always, always, always made time to read to her in bed. So that was our time. Her bedtime was usually when when I came in and we would always have that time together. And in some ways, you know, I, I, I looked at other um, families whose, you know, where the mothers were the main carer and, yes, and also yes. I look at my husband and he was the one that had to do all the nagging and, you know, all the mundane stuff. Yeah. So yep. in some ways, you know, there, there's a real um, plus side to it in that our time together was always quality time and we both valued it immensely. Yeah. And, you know, that, that's true today. So, And now you work together, so it obviously it was all good. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so what happened next? So, in uni. so what happened next? You had the agency, you brought it back to life. You know, yep. you're still going with it. So I'm interested to now get into the cause effect and see at what stage did all of that kind of happen and you went, no, no, no. Um, and how long ago was it that you set it up? So, so the agent, the agency Sunday lunch, it was called. Um, that was going Great from name. about 2011, and then by 2016. So I tried to steer it down the path of at the time it was cause marketing, um, but too early for Australia. And then around 2016, our major client, who we'd had for 20 years, I'd retained them throughout the previous agency as well. They um, they got new management, and yep. um, basically we just won all the work from their big brand agency, and the results we were delivering. They were saying we've never seen results like this. So it, yeah, you know, but then new management came in, and they just went everything is changing, 
and a new brand team came in and literally it was a clean sweep and it didn't matter the results. So, so you know, I, I kind of... You must have been devastated, though. Well, I you must have been. There's, there's nothing I could do about it. No, it was no. outside of my control, and there was. And it wasn't about that- you anyway. It would have been just about we want a clean sweep and put in our yeah. own people. It wouldn't have mattered yeah, whether yeah. you were doing a brilliant job or who you were. Yep, yep, yep. And um, and the thing is, um, I also kind of thought this could be an opportunity because this client has kept holding us back and getting us to do all these things, and that's where my focus has gone. So this could be an opportunity for me to do what I really want to do with the agency. So I looked at that, um, and then within a month of that happening, our other client, who was a, a phone retailer, yeah, um, they were owned by Canadians, and they were sold. And the first thing they did was to remove the CEO and change the direction of the business. Right. And so that happened within one month. And God. then another client that we'd, we'd been working with, another retained client, um, we'd just been told, so it was my ex-client from, from the first 20-year-old client who had moved there and brought us in. And he said, they love you. You're doing amazing work. It's only going to get better. And literally they closed down the Sydney office and moved to Melbourne and everything stopped. So within the course of 12 months, our top three retained clients had gone and there was nothing that we could have done differently that would have changed that outcome. So to me, it felt like the universe was kind of going, hmm, you've been talking a big talk on what you'd like to do. Now, let me remove all do? the barriers. Yes, like the universe goes, let me remove all the barriers so that we'll see whether you really want to yeah. do it. And, off, yeah, you, and that, off you go. That's how it felt. And I remember thinking, okay, you know, we've got a smattering of clients. I know I can rebuild the agency, but I also knew what it took. I'd done it before and I knew that cost. And I remember just thinking, I don't, I don't know if I'm ready to do that again. And it begged the question, well, what are you ready to do? And it was like, this is it. Of course, it's a freaking no-brainer. You're allowed to say fuck, and it is a fucking (laughs) (laughs) no-brainer. It is a total fucking no-brainer. And I don't know what it is that I'm building, but I know where I want to – I know the outcome I want to achieve with it. And uh, so that was it. So, you know, So how do you start – I was going to say, how do you start an agency from scratch, really, um, in an in an area that is new for a lot of businesses, so they don't understand it? I just I just know how hard it can be. What was that like for you? So, what was that three years ago? Um, that was yeah, yeah, three years ago. So that was okay. really really hard. So I I started in my living room. I'd never started anything from scratch, right? You know, I'd been right. brought into an existing business before. And I do remember thinking a bit of a – feeling like a bit of a fraud that I'd never started from scratch. And I oh, thought, why look. did I have that thought? Why did I have that thought? <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have put that thought into the universe. But um, but so I started from scratch in my living room. There was, there was money left in the business. And yeah. I started I, – um, I, I did a business – program that had just I'd never thought of doing anything like it but it came across my um my sites and I just thought this sounds like I need to do it and I jumped in um and 
I shouldn't have done it because it's for established businesses. But they said to me, oh, you've, done, you've established a business before. That's fine. But I had zero revenue, right? I was starting from scratch. Yeah. And I was the income earner in the family. And I had a Sydney mortgage. Um, I'm, so, I'm so glad I did do it um, because it really helped. But I, I thought I was building another agency. It took me a while to realize it was consultancy because I don't want to compete with agencies. I want to support them. Yep, yep um, that makes sense. Where, so where so did, is the model the way it works is that as an agency, if they have – so you let agencies know what you can do when they have a client – and they feel that they need a purpose or, or, the, or that there is a cause there, they bring you in and you help them turn that into a marketing yep. machine as well as, um, yep. as, well as do doing good. creative execution. Right. Um, you know, what, what we do with the clients is the strategy um, and, uh, you know, um, also invite them um, if they want to to bring their agencies on the journey too. So, so I have had agencies um, open up client opportunities for me, which is great. But, um, but yeah, so, so did that. I wrote my book, Path to Purpose, um, and I thought I already knew. I'd been deep diving into social purpose, cause marketing for yeah. a long time. I thought I knew, you know, as much as I could know about it, but writing the book just was a deeper dive. In writing it, I was crystal clear on what I wanted to create and that was, it was that block. It was the fear that clients had of doing something new. I wanted to give them a way to remove that fear. I wanted them to have confidence that if they could follow this path and if they could take inspiration from other companies, then they would be able to navigate it with confidence. So I did that and you know what it's like, Jules, it takes time. It does um, take time. And it's exciting though. It's exciting. And when you're driven and you, I mean, basically you are, you're like your clients, aren't you? Because when you are doing something that you know will make a difference, you know, everybody loves it. And, and so you're the only difficulty for you really, I guess, is the execution, not, not is telling them how to roll it out, telling them how to, and needing that one example so that you can go to other clients and go, this is what I did for them. And this is how it affected their bottom line. Yeah, absolutely. And to do it properly, you know, that, that's quite an investment. Um, yes. but, but you know what? I got a client almost immediately. Like I developed this methodology and I got a client and I went in and, you know, the, the pricing at the time was really quite high. And I literally took them through it. I said, look, this is what I've created. These, these are the problems it solves. These are the solutions. Here's what it looks like. We run it over six months and here's the cost. Radi ra, radi ra. And they said, okay, great. And, and by that was, I think, at 12 o'clock, by 3 o'clock, they, there was a purchase order in my email oh. for the full amount. And I'm like, whoa, okay. <laughs> Happy <laughs> and was, days. Was, yeah, and that was a big corporate and that was very exciting. But we got halfway through and, um, and, and this is one thing that I get frustrated about with corporates is there are so many budget cuts and changes. Yes. So we got halfway through, we're working with their agency and it was a new product launch, a new brand launch actually, and it got stopped. And, um, and all the beautiful work we've done will never see the light of day, which, and it was really oh, frustrating no. because they were that first client for me, right? And it was kind of yes, like, spent, yes, and you still need you that know, example. <laughs> yeah. And I've just spent three, four months on this and I've got nothing to show for it. 
Um, so uh, yeah, um, and and you know what? Along the way, as 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 all of this was developing, one thing I want to highlight is just how people show up. And how there were people who were just throwing things to me to keep me alive in those early oh, days. Fantastic. Yeah. So it wasn't the kind of work that I was trying to create, but it was like, look, here's a client here, or how about coming in and doing this? And just, you know, people, people who. Yeah, lovely. That's really lovely to hear. Oh, well, yeah. I love it. Now, you mentioned. You mentioned um, Early. Oh, well, sorry, and I'm jumping in a bit too early. So is that kind of how it all works now? Because I was going to say the next thing is you mentioned some women have helped you along the way. I just wondered if there were any specific ones you wanted to tell us a story about how they helped you. Because this is a podcast for women and to inspire them, I like to sort of show that there's because there's a hell of a lot of women out there that have had their knee, they've been cut off at the knees by other women, which I don't like. Uh, so any any warm fuzzy stories? Tell me. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've I've had I've had women all along the way from from my mother, yeah. you know, from the very beginning who just kind of um, made sure that the world was open to me and 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 who you know, set the idea of you can do anything you put your, you set your mind to, but who really um, made me understand that where I was born, the family I was born into, the fact that I was lucky enough to be born into a middle-class privileged society was not as a result of anything I'd done or earned. It was luck. Oh, what a great mum to to make you realise that because um, it's very true and there is certainly a a lot of privileged people that have no understanding or acknowledgement of the position that they're in. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, so that, that was, that was one thing to my daughter today, who's my biggest supporter and, you know, who cheers me on the sidelines and she does all my videos and photographs and things like that. And, and she's amazing. But then along the way, I have had women, I've had men as well, but, but lots of women who have opened things up from my, my first boss in the agency, Diana Toombs, who literally she, she, the trust she gave me was phenomenal and it it said even even back to Accor days that first boss I had yeah you know that that set me up and then and then along the way here you know to one of my clients um Beaumont People is a recruitment agency here in Sydney in in the Northern Rivers and so they've done my program and Nikki Beaumont who's the founder um and, and Nina Mapson-Bone, who's the managing director, they just put their trust fully in me. So, so they were the first ones to do my first, first Path to Purpose program, which was I'd got out of – I evolved from cause marketing to where I really wanted to be, which is how do you create a meaningful purpose strategy that, that you know, answers your why, but also levels up into creating meaningful change in society. And Oh, my they, God, I love it. <laughs> That's exactly what I want to hear. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and Nikki, like, she read my book and she went, yeah, okay, let, let's in. do the workshop. And we did, we did this workshop and, and whereas in my agency world I used to take a brief and go away and my team would come up with a strategy and creative and we'd go back and go, ta-da! With this, you can't do that. 
I mean, you can, but it's not going to be genuine. It's not going to be yeah, authentic, right. right? So, so the process I use is workshopping and getting as much from them as I can and then going away and doing the research and looking at it and refining it. But the real truth comes from them. Yeah. And um, with them, um, with the Beaumont team, we discovered I, I, I could – it didn't quite come out in the workshop. You could almost see it, but afterwards it came out and it was so – um, on point because it was all around meaningful work and um, and their belief in meaningful work and the need for people to connect to organisations who enable them to do meaningful work. And, you know, everyone talks about meaningful work, but nobody's quantified what it means. That is so they just, have now, Beaumont yeah. people have. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Body of research. And now it's about they bloody time, actually, that, that recruiters started be, you know, caring about people and putting them in the right spot and stop doing this sort of algorithm rubbish because it's just so completely wrong. Um, wow. Go on. Sorry. And and and, and the thing that, uh, you know, I, I love about what they've done um, is their trust in me. Uh, you know, I've said, look, if you're truly purpose-led, so they're, they're, they've created the world's first meaningful work um, survey, they're creating the world's first meaningful work profiling tool which was delayed oh, because of COVID. I love it. But yeah. because they're being driven by their purpose, they're not doing what you would expect them to do, which is create the tool and that becomes a product that they have for their clients. It is a product for their clients, but they've made it available. They will make it av available to everyone, competitors included, because oh, they're focused on, you know, the change they want to see in Changing the world. Changing the industry. Yeah. And... And, you know, the fact that they've trusted me on that whole journey and then on top of that, you know, they've supported me and promoted me and partnered with me and all of this other stuff um, and given me so many opportunities, you know, that's just an example of the kind of support that I've had from women throughout my career. Oh, I so, love hearing all of that. And, and I mean, I would have to say mine has been similar and I also think – if you work in advertising and marketing, it is slightly different because the women that you meet tend to be, and on the client side, women with a bit of oomph and, you know, who've, who've kind of got to those roles where they're leading. Um, but it, that, what a great story. And I absolutely love what you're doing. Um, now, we are all, just about out of time, but I want to ask you a question that a journalist suggested that I ask everyone, and I love asking it because I never know what the answer is going to be. Is there a little quirky fact about you that you would be up for sharing with us that maybe not everybody knows about? can be anything. Um, oh. It's a hard one. <laughs> it's a really hard one, like like a, a characteristic or a trait or... It doesn't matter. Look, I, I'll tell you some of the things I've heard. One person said I've got no belly button. One person said I was the first big red chair on Graham Norton. Someone said they won perfect match. Somebody else said oh my God. they love eating in bed. So it really oh, doesn't wow. matter. It can be anything. Oh, okay. I, um, I had lunch with Princess Anne. <sighs> Did you? What was she and like? I'm such a Republican. I'm such a Republican. And it was, <laughs> it was, um, it was. I'd say a, she um, almost is as well. <laughs> yeah, actually, I think she is. And it was a. She's very, a you know, she wasn't born in into the royal family. Yeah. But, but so how um, did that happen and what was she like? 
It was a um, one of our clients, C-Link, um, sponsored Save the Children, and we did this little thing, um, a, a lunch, so for all the locals in this, um, I think it was in Folkestone, um, down south, um, all the little old ladies could come and meet her, and, um, and I drove down, and so we were just kind of organising it, and me and my boss were meant to be there and just organising everybody, and I had a party the night before that went <laughs> on till four in the morning. You know, I was very young. So you're hungover and, and probably down. fumes of alcohol. <laughs> I think I was still drunk. I think yeah, I was probably. still drunk. <laughs> and fumes of alcohol, absolutely. I felt disgusting. And I didn't think I would meet her. I just thought I would, you know, organise everybody else. And then they said, no, no, you've got to have lunch with her. You know, it's a stand-up <laughs> buffet. So... So it ended up with, and they gave us all this protocol stuff, and both me and my boss were anti-monarchy, right? Totally. Yes. So it was hysterical that we we ended up doing this, and um, and they gave us um, all these protocols, and I had to curtsy, and I'm like, oh, curtsy. Oh my god! Right. And um, and we ended up just in this small group with her, a couple of her cohort, and me and my boss, and we were told you're not allowed to ask them questions. So it's really awkward. Like you, you're to you're stand around in a group and not be allowed to ask a question. Plate of food, and she's looking <laughs> bored, shitless, right? Yeah. And then my boss just said, "Oh, look, I know, I know, we're not meant to ask questions, but I have to ask you, how was your trip to Russia? She just come back from Russia, yeah. And you know, she came to life in that moment, and she just started talking about it, and you know, she was really energized and excited, and I thought. God, how dull must it be to be a royal? Oh, like the people, pits. Absolutely yeah. the pits. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I can understand why Harry got out. Um, although, you know, who knows, who knows, who knows. I'm not even going to get into all of that, but I can understand. Right. Well, you are an amazing woman. I love everything that you're doing. Now, if anyone wants to find out more, use your services or whatever, what is the best way for them to get hold of you? Um, they can find me on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. So um, look for Carolyn Butler Madden. I'm the only one there. Um, and that's, <laughs> that's the best starting point to find me. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. The cause effect. I just love everything that you're doing. It's, uh, I think it's timely. I just feel like on the back of this pandemic, it's almost like we've got a chance to be new and fresh. And I think purpose and causes and all those things are going to become more and more and more important from now on. So uh, you've hit the nail on the head, I reckon, Carolyn, but I hope to meet you in real life at some stage. So yeah, me too. Thank great, you. Great stuff. Thank you so much for coming on as my guest. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It's been, it's been awesome chatting to you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she'stheboss.com.au.